Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by our special guest speaker. We're going to be talking about this morning what it means to be a man. What it means to be a man. So the men of God in this room... Before you leave, you might have to check your eyebrows because they might be burned off, okay? All right? But women, you're off the hook this morning, amen? How many of you guys want to hear my wife preach one day? Uh-oh. Just joking. She ain't the preacher. I am. We don't, we don't know that, though. Sometimes you just got to step out, amen? All right, so if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to look at Genesis chapter 2. And then we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 1. So the title of this is, What It Means to Be a Man. What is a man? Genesis chapter 1, and let's look at verse 26 and 27. And when you're there, say amen. 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 Okay. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26. Then God said, let us. Everyone say us. That is the the family of God, the plurality of God. God is one. He's Yahweh, but he exists in three persons. And I love this because everyone just say us one more time. Say us. You ever wonder why in John chapter 1 it says that the light came into the world, but the darkness could not comprehend it? And then it says, and there was a man that was sent from God who was not the light, but came to bear witness of the light, and whose name was John. My question is, and I'm going to answer that based upon that word that I made you say twice, to repeat twice, is the question is, is why does God need a witness? Why did Jesus need a witness in John 1, and why do we have us right there? It's because, watch this, God never does anything alone. God doesn't do anything alone. He exists in a family. He exists in a community. That's why we are his body. That's why we are his church. So we have the Godhead formed in the creation of Adam. So it says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God, watch this, listen to the language. We read the Bible way too fast. Watch. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, watch this, male and female, he created them. So in Genesis chapter 1, we have the original creation account. We have all six days of creation And then in Genesis chapter 2, go to Genesis chapter 2. What's interesting in Genesis chapter 2, it's like a snapshot. It it focuses in on Genesis 1 on God's highest expression of his created order, which is you and me. So Genesis chapter 1 is like a panoramic overview of the creation of the earth and the creation of you and me. But in Genesis chapter 2, he goes in depth and he gives us greater detail. So in Genesis chapter 1, we see God created male and female. We see that. But in Genesis chapter 2, go over and then let's look at verse 
15. So in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, when you're there, say amen. amen. Then the Lord God took the man, say the man. the man, the man, and put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil you shall not eat. For the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then look at verse 18. It's interesting. And the Lord God said, it is not good. Say not good. It's interesting. Why, God, why would God in Genesis 1 say, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then Genesis chapter 2, when he's focusing in on the creation of man, he says, it is not good that man should be alone. And see, if we don't understand what is really happening here, we can miss this. Because he says, it's not good for man to be alone. Say alone. Now, in the Hebrew, this is kind of a different word than just man being lonely or in solitude. Literally, if you take this word alone, watch, watch, and you cut it in two, it says it's not good for man to be all one. Alone, all one. A-L, cut it. All one, or A-L-L, all one. It's not good for man to be all one. So what does God do? Scripture says he causes a deep sleep, you know the story hopefully, to come upon Adam. And what he does is he takes the rib from the side of Adam, and it says then he begins to form the woman. And see, the English words, we, don't, we, we really don't get a precise picture of what's happening. See, when it says that God created, he formed Adam, essentially it means that God just, he, he put Adam together, he created him. But this word formed is the Hebrew word, it means God artistically built the woman. So I, I know, I know, I, listen, I know I can, I have put my foot in my mouth up here too many times to count, all right? I, thank God I'm off probation and I'm preaching this morning, hallelujah for that, come on, right? But literally, literally. When we say, my God, she is built, when I look at my wife, I'm like, my God, she's built. That is the truest definition of the Hebrew I can come up with. I promise, look it up. So it says that literally God artistically fashioned, he took his time on the woman, right? But hallelujah, Mason, for that. Thank God that God took a little bit time on the woman than the man, right? Oh, come on. So God says, it's not good for man to be all one i got to take the woman out of the man, and then I'm going to bring the woman to the man. And this is what Adam actually says this. God doesn't say this. Adam says this. Jesus quotes it in the book of Matthew 19. Paul quotes it in Ephesians chapter 5. And then Adam looks at his bride, and it says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. But we're talking about manhood in here. We're talking about what the Bible says a man is. And see, if you want to see God's intention for humanity, for you and I, all you have to do is look at four chapters in the Bible. Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22. Those are the four chapters in the Word of God without sin. Right? So you see, before sin came into the, into the world, before sin came into the cosmos... Paul says in Romans chapter 5, by one man, 
sin entered into the world. It was through not just Eve's transgression, it was through Adam's transgression that sin came into humanity, right? So we're seeing this picture of what true biblical manhood is. And, and listen, you've got to follow me every step of the way when I go over this. It's because there is a cultural war between what, what manhood really is and what it's not. And see, we have to look at the word of God to see how God defines manhood. And what's interesting is Genesis 1 and 2, this is before the fall, and if you kept reading, you would see, and they were both together unashamed in the garden. They were both naked. So you can't really look at how we dress. Uh-oh. And men, don't hear what I'm not saying. Don't come in here wearing your daughter's prom dress next week, okay? I'm not saying do that, right? But we have these, we have these adjectives called masculinity and femininity that are supposed to describe the noun of what it is to be a male and what it is to be a female. And in the garden, pre-fall before sin came, watch, watch. Go to Genesis 1. I want to show you this. Go back to Genesis 1, and looks, let's look what he tells them. Verse 28. Genesis 1, 28. Then God blessed them. Say them. It's plural. God blessed them. Who's them? God blessed Adam and his wife, the woman. She's not named Eve yet. Important. I want you to repeat that. Say, he did not name her yet. Uh-oh. That's important. So Adam's here. He's with his woman. And God is blessing both of them. And watch what God tells them. He says, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it. And take dominion. It's the five-fold mandate that God gave both of them. Say both. But remember in Genesis 2, go back to Genesis 2. I want you to see this. It's like going back and forth, back and forth. That's what we got to do. In Genesis 2, watch this. We're going to look at verse 15 again. Then the Lord God took, say, the man. And put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it. Watch. In Genesis 1, remember, it's like... Genesis 1, God gives the panoramic view of creation. In Genesis 2, it's like he reverses and says, I want to go into a little bit more detail, Moses, with this. So it's like reverse, rewind before the rib was taken out of him, right? So what's going on in Genesis chapter 2 is God, right here, is telling Adam two things he did not tell his bride. Gosh. God is telling Adam... I need you to tend and to keep. Say tend. Say keep. Okay. So God is telling Adam, this is a personal conversation. This is man to man. This is God to man, one on one. This is before Eve was created. So God said, tend it and keep it. Verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. We just read this. We read verse 18. It's not good for man to be alone, right? And verse 19. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature was its name. Say name. name. See, we don't understand name. We, we say, oh, he named him lion or he named him tiger or he named him bear. Adam had so much authority as a man of God, it says whatsoever he called them, so they were. So God is actually co-creating 
with the creator, and he's actually giving each animal its personality and its distinct characteristics. So when a lion comes before him, he says, you're a lion, you're the king. A tiger comes before him, he says, you are a tiger, you are going to be the king of the jungle. Adam is actually co-creating with God. He's co-creating with God. He has that authority. So God is bringing all these animals before Adam. Let's look at verse 20. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And I read this. I paraphrased it. That's where the sleep comes in. And that's when God takes the woman out of the man. And he says, it's now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. So remember, this is pre-fall. Say pre-fall. Watch. This is where it's going to get interesting. This is where you got to pray for me. Say, I'm praying for you, Pastor. <laughs> right now, pray for me because my words have got to be perfect here. Okay, ready. I'm not being sensational. I'm not being off color. But watch. Before the fall, listen, there was some adjectives, masculine and feminine. Watch. That were actually interchangeable. Okay. I know I'm feeling, I'm feeling the pushback. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Gender is not interchangeable. It is not fluid. Okay, I got two rights. Let me say it again. Gender is not fluid. It's not fluid. If you are born with a male genitalia, you are a man. If you are born with a female genitalia, you are a female. Can we agree? Hallelujah. But watch, watch, watch. But the Bible says the woman was taken out of the man. Watch. So it never says that God breathed the spirit into Eve. Uh-oh. It says that God breathed the spirit into Adam. And it said he became a living soul. It became, he became a living nefesh, a, a, a living creature, right? So, so the woman was in the man. They were both naked and they are unashamed. So there are some attributes, watch, of masculinity and femininity that were actually shared. Okay, well, brother, uh, I just don't want men, men to wear dresses. I don't either, but some of the baddest warriors from Ireland wore kilts. Remember, they're naked. You say, well, man, a man, a man is a man he hunts and he fishes and he's athletic. Listen, my daughter loves to fish. My wife loves to shoot guns. You see, you see what's happening here? See, listen, masculine and some feminine traits can be interchangeable. Look, okay, we've got Mason. You got a man bun? You got a man bun? You got long hair? Uh-oh. Well, brother, that's feminine. Jesus had long hair. Am I messing with you yet? Okay, Jeremy. This dude can beat me up. I'm 213 pounds. I'm not going to ask you what your weight is, bro, but I know you're big and you're built. He's a cheerleading coach. Okay, are you seeing this here? Listen, I know, I know. Okay, I say this all the time. If you have questions of pushback, you know my email. Tom at New Hope Up on, no. No, I'm joking. Listen, I'm joking, sir, because I know it's coming. I'm Matt. At newhopeonline.com. 
But just stay with me. Stay with me. So they're both naked. They're unashamed in the garden. Watch, 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 watch. Where did Adam come from? I'm, I'm sorry. Where did, where did the woman come from? Say Adam. Where did Adam come from? God. All right. There's this whole thing. God's a woman. No, he's not. He's a spirit. God is spirit. And those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. But our issue is we make God, big word, anthropomorphic. Watch. We make God in our own image. See, we're creating the image of God, but unfortunately, what we've done is we've returned the favor, right? God is neither male nor female. He's spirit. But so we can understand him, it goes beyond our biology and gender. It has to do with parts of his nature. Okay, watch this. Okay, David was what? Was he a warrior? Amen. Was he a giant slayer? Amen. Was he also a harp-playing, weeping prophet? Amen. So where do, we, where do we get these adjectives from? We get the adjectives from culture that has defined these adjectives for us. So we have to look at what God says and how God speaks over us and how God defines us. Remember the intention of God you can see in Genesis 1 and 2. And then it's the fall. So do you see that at times that these masculine and feminine characteristics can be interchangeable? But gender cannot. So let me ask you this question. Have we as the church, uh-oh, actually confused people that have been lied to by the enemy or something cataclysmic has happened and we're like, brother, you're, you're a man. You shouldn't be cutting hair. What if he's already confused of who he is and all we have done is falsely labeled someone based upon an adjective pre-fall that's been interchangeable? So are we actually causing more confusion in the church? Hey, brother, men, let, so let, let's talk about it. Say, let's talk about it. So let's talk about how culture defines a man. Everyone say three Bs. Number one, culture defines a man by the ball field. Say, put it up there, Gabe, come on. You gotta stay with me, Gabe, come on. You gotta stay with me, Gabe, come on. Gabe, that's terrible, I want it big. That's terrible, Gabe. All right, ball field, leave it up. Okay, so, well, watch. When I, was, when I was 12, 13, 14, I played football, I played baseball, I ran track, I ran cross country, I did athletics. What does culture say? Man, you, you're a man, dude. You're athletic. That's manly. I can still, listen, I can still remember running a three-mile race in my home time of Niceville. Niceville. Yes, Niceville. That's where I'm from. Niceville. Not Nashville. Niceville, Florida, outside of Destin. And I can still remember running this race, and my dad was at the finish line clapping me on because I broke my record. I ran a 16.58 three-mile. Can't do that anymore. All right? Gained a little bit of weight. Ain't no way. All right? Ain't no way I can do that anymore. But what I'm saying is we have defined a man based upon how good they are on the ball field, how many touchdowns they score. Okay, but watch how erroneous this is. Do you think that I want to fight Ronda Rousey? I don't. You're like, who's Ronda Rousey? Oh, she's a bad UFC fighter. You don't want to fight her. Okay? So you see what's happening here? We are so confused because we don't understand God's intention. 
So if we allow culture to define what a man is, they're going to say, a man is one that can bench press 315 pounds 10 times. A man is one, oh my gosh, did you know that Mark McGuire hit over 70 home runs? Oh my gosh, that quarterback has thrown 18 touchdowns his last seven games. We've defined it from the ball field. We've defined it from athletics. We've defined it from how well you can do sports with your human vessel. So culture says you're a man if you can do this, if you're good at athletics. Number two, culture also says that you're a man based upon, say it, the bedroom. Say bedroom. bedroom. Come on, I'm not, I'm not listen. I, I, I know, this is why I gotta be careful. Holy Spirit, help me now. Hey, th listen, let me just give you a parenthetical citation. This is why we have Holy Spirit speaking to us a lot. But because the mind is unrenewed, what is truthful comes through a dirty filter. And then it's just like God is actually speaking, but we add flesh to it. We have to be careful not to do that. So God, help me not add flesh to this right here. All right. But culture defines, man, listen, when I was in high school, I'm just going to say it. It's like how many women you slept with determines your manhood. Can I get an amen? In college, how many women you can be with makes you a man. Culture says, hey, if you really want to be a man, if you really want to get all the women, man, you got to be less than 10% body fat. And man, you need to be able to work your body in a way that everyone that comes across you is going to know that you go to the gym. Culture says, that's manliness. How well you are on the bedroom. How many women you've been with. How much of a ladies man are you? Do you know what God says? He says, if you want to be a leader in the church, you better be the husband of one wife. Not a ladies man. You could actually translate, translate that as not a ladies man. So, number one, athletics, the ball field. Number two, you're a man based upon how many women like you? How many women you've been with? And then number three, watch this. Then your manhood is also determined by your billfold. So three Bs, how much money you have, how successful you are. Man, you're in your 30s and you're not making six figures yet? What's going on with you, bro? Oh, you want to be a man? But you don't even have a savings account yet and a college account for your kids? Man, you need to grow up and you need to be a man. And see, this, this is the thing. Like, there's partial truths that are floating around in culture. Like, like I'm going to show you, like, you need to provide for your family. You need to be, have a safe place for your kids. But your manly stature in the eyes of God is not determined by the dollar amount in your bank account. Has nothing to do with the ball field, has nothing to do with the bedroom, and has nothing to do with your billfold. So how does God define a man? How does God define a man? Remember, in Genesis chapter 1, he tells both of them, hey, be fruitful, multiply, take dominion, replenish, fill the earth. Five-fold mandate. But then over chapter 2, remember, it's actually happening before this in chapter 1. God is talking to Adam man to man. This is what's a man. Number one, you have to learn to work. To tend the garden. Say Tend. It's the Hebrew word for work. Listen, and this is where we get it confused. We work to provide a home before we meet our wife. 19-year-old, 20-year-old that is engaged, 
You shouldn't be engaged if you're still living in your mommy and daddy's house. Goodbye. <laughs> For this reason. Okay, well, okay, let me prove it. Remember, Genesis 2, it was man to man. God talking to Adam. He says, this is a man. He says, you need to tend the garden. It means, literally in Hebrew, it means to work. Listen, that's why Paul is talking to the Thessalonians and he's saying, if you don't work, you don't eat. Meaning he's not trying to be harsh. He's saying, listen, hunger is great because it will drive you to work. That's what he's saying. If you're hungry, you need to get a job. You need to work. But see, when God is saying, hey, Adam, you need to tend the garden, he's saying, it's more than just build, building a home. Gosh. It's, he's not telling Adam, you need, son, you need to get your general contractor's license, and you need to cut down that oak tree, that oak tree, and then we're going to build. We're going to build a mansion in the garden right here. No. He's saying, you need to build a home for your family. You need to be, build a home for your spouse. So when I bring her to you, you have something to offer her. You have a safe place, a secure place, a godly home. And you're not striving and working off the sweat of your brow to get something to happen. You've already done it because you've been wise because you're a man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. He leaves and then he meets his wife. He leaves and he works. Say he works. Got work ethic. Come on. My God, can we talk about this for a little bit? There, listen, there, come on, Drew. We talked about this this week. There is an attack on our families right now. Listen, this brother told me that he knows six couples that are getting divorced. Since Thanksgiving. You want to know why? Because we don't know how to be a man. And it ain't the woman's fault. Nine out of ten times. Yes, there's the exception. No, I'm not putting everybody in the same category, but nine out of ten times it's the man's fault. Why? I can solve every single world's problem with a father in every home. You won't be hungry. You won't be thirsty. If you're sick, I'm going to lay hands on you first before I take you to the doctor. Okay? Listen, my kids ain't going to be broken by divorce because I'm a man of covenant and I'm staying with my spouse. It don't matter how many times we fight. It don't matter what happens. I am staying put because I don't want the devil to have my kids. We have to tend. We have to work. We have to, we have to provide for the legacies and the generations coming after us. So God, is, it's eye to eye. And he's saying, son, you're going to have to work. And they say, he says, then you got to keep. Say keep. Doesn't mean like... I'm going to keep my phone. I'm going to hold on to my phone. I'm keeping this. That's not what it means. In Hebrew, it means to protect. Say protect. So a godly man, he works, he provides a home, a safe home, and he protects his wife. Listen, not by bench press, not by having 27 AR-15s hidden all over your house. And listen, I love guns. I got nine of them. I I'm cool. I'm going to protect my family naturally, but I'm also going to protect my God, protect my family spiritually. Listen, God knows what's about to happen. 
God's omniscient. He declares the end from the beginning. He understands in Genesis chapter 2 where he's looking as original man. And he's saying, I want you to build a home for this bride I'm about to give you. For these children that are about to be produced through your loins. But you're going to have to protect them. Because what do you think happens in Genesis chapter 3? The fall. God is saying you have to protect your family spiritually. This is where it's going to get messy. Men of God, your bride, your wife, Paul says, is your glory. Say, she's my glory. It's the the Greek word doxa. I I would translate it image. I would literally, that's 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 what I teach my boys, my boys in the restoration house. I teach doxa glory as the swag of God. It's what makes God, God. It's the essence of God. It's the image of God. So what, what? You're, you're taking a rabbit trail. No, I'm not, no, I'm not, no, I'm not. God's telling Adam, his original man, you have to protect your family spiritually because there's gonna always, listen, there's always gonna be breaches in your walls of your family. Well, I don't have any holes in my wall, pastor. I'm not talking about your natural walls in your home. I'm talking about your spiritual walls. I'm talking about what you let into your house. Listen, listen, listen. The wife is the glory of man. She is your image. So listen, if your wife is broken, if she's depressed, if she always has her head down, that's on you, man. That's on you. That's on you. There's breaches in our walls. There's holes in our walls. And there was, listen, there was actually no holes in Adam's home because Adam was created in a perfect environment. But God still told the original man, you need to protect what's yours because there's this slithering serpent, the nashash, the shining one in Hebrew, the shining one, the angel of light that's going to come. And man, his lies are going to seem so good and they're going to be so tempting But see, if you have holes in your heart, if you don't see me for who I really am, and you don't know who you, for you, who you really are as a man of God, I'm telling you, the enemy, watch Genesis 2, God says protect. Genesis 3, Adam doesn't protect, lets the enemy in. And then chapter 4 of Genesis, we have children that are murdered. So this is the original family, you guys. Because Adam did not protect his bride. Because Adam did not heed to the original word of the Lord of what makes a man a man. You build a home and you protect your home. You protect your home spiritually. Doesn't mean you stay up all night in fear waiting for someone to invade your home. That means you wake up in the morning and make intercession for your family. Then listen, if there's something going on with your children, my God, don't take them to the psychologist first. Go before God and find out what breaches are in your home. What makes a man a man? What makes a man a man? We've allowed culture to tell us what a real man is. And God is telling us what a real man is. The enemy comes in 
to divide the family, to divide the marriage. Listen, I'm telling you, there is an attack on marriages like I've never seen before. How vulnerable do you want me to get? How transparent do you want me to get? Last five days have been hard on me. You want to know why? Because every message that is preached will always be tested if it's from God. Because when God throws the seed into the preacher, the first line of defense is the enemy comes in, according to Mark chapter 4, and tries to take the word that was sown out of my heart. And then he tries to come in and make it shallow. And then he tries to come in and bring in what? Thorns and rocks. You know what those are? Those are piercing hard places of offense that cause the word of God not to grow in your heart. Men of God, if you feel like God's not answering your prayers, I don't know what's going on. I pray night and day. I feel nothing. It's you're offended with your spouse. It's because you're offended with your spouse. Peter says it. It says, live with her in an understanding way as a fellow heir of the grace of life, lest your prayers go unanswered. So if your prayers are going unanswered, then you're not living with your bride in an understanding way. You're allowing the serpent to come in with his whispers and his echoes to divide you. And listen, does he want to take you out? Oh, you better believe he wants to take your covenant out. But he's not just after your covenant. He's after your children. Read Genesis 4. It's deception, division in the marriage, and then murder in the, in the house. Murder. What do we do? What does a man do? What does a true man do? What does a man of God do? He gets up and he asks God, God, where are the open doors of access in my home? Where are the open doors of access in my heart, in my life? Because, see, as the head of the family, as the head of my spouse, it has, listen, beloved, has nothing to do with dominance. It has nothing to do with control. You want to know what it has to do with? It means I'll die first. I'm the head. I'll die first. Where do you get that in Scripture? Ephesians chapter 5. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And what did he do? He laid down his life. So he could do what? So he could wash his bride with the washing of the water by the word of God. Husbands, it is our job. Men of God, it is our job to take a bride. Man, my wife's nuts. It don't matter. It's your job to cleanse her. My wife talks back. It don't matter. It's your job to wash her with the word of God. Man, I just get in arguments day and night. And man, it turns into a screaming match in my house. And our children are having to listen to it. It don't matter. You wash her. By the washing of the water, by the word of God. Well, what am I supposed to do? When he was reviled, he did not revile and return. Listen, when he was threatened, he didn't threaten back. But it says he trusted himself to the God who judges righteously. Men of God, we don't talk back. Men of God, we wash and answer with the word. That's what a man does. And I've failed a thousand times at that. (laughs) What'd you say to me? Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5, Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5, wash you with the wash of the word. Holy Spirit, like, you can't. And I'm, and I'm like, and it's just like everything goes right. And I'm like, why don't I just say that? It was just ridiculous that I just said that. Listen, what do you think Jesus did from the cross? Did he talk back? No. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I know this is hard. Do you think it was hard? Listen, his bride was crucifying him. His future bride was causing him to bleed. His bride was pulling his hair. That was long, by the way. 
And they probably stripped him of a dress he was wearing. Uh Uh-oh. We have no clue what a biblical man is. A biblical man is one that stands on the word of God despite what comes to his house. Matthew chapter 7 is a man of God who builds his house upon the rock, which is Jesus Christ. And the winds come and the storms come and the house might be shaken, but it will not fall because build it on the rock. Why? Because I have no breaches. I have no breaches in my house. Do I? Absolutely. I'm just saying we don't need breaches in our house. So number one, a man works. Number two, a man tends and protects. And then number three, a man goes first in surrender and sacrifice. A man goes first in surrender and sacrifice. Let's look at this. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And then let's look at around verse 18, 19. Okay, I'm feeling a little bit of awkwardness in the room. (laughs) But it's all good. I got everybody under 40 getting it. (laughs) All right, I needed to say it again. I'm not saying gender is interchangeable. Do you hear me? Say amen. amen. But I'm saying the adjectives can be interchangeable. They can. Based upon preference. Based upon if a little girl likes to hunt, little girl likes to wrestle, little girl likes, and we're like, no, 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 boys do that. And you know what the little girl does? Well, maybe I'm a boy. If boys do that, maybe I'm a boy. You know what we've done? We've caused gender identity disorders. The church does it. Just because, listen, just because they're innocent and they like things that we say they shouldn't like, but maybe actually our children are more operating in the garden than we are as adults. All right, it's all good. What'd you say, love? I'm getting there, Megan. My wife's hiding there, making sure I don't forget anything. See how delicate this is? I'm telling you. Okay, Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. Come on. Woo! Verse 21. Go to Ephesians 5, verse 21. Are y'all with me this morning? All right, good. (laughs) 21. Submitting to one another. Say one another. Wife and husband. Submitting to one another. Right? But this this is what we love. We love to start at 22. Wives! Submit to your husband's bless God for that. Keep reading, man of God. Read the whole chapter. Read what you're supposed to do for her. It never tells your bride to die for you, but it tells you to die for her. Oh, my gosh. So God has raised the standard for the man. Watch. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Why, why as to the Lord? Because husbands were supposed to do what he did. We're supposed to do what he did. Which is what? It's going to explain it. For the husband is the head of the wife. He's not the dominating force. He's not the controlling force. He's not the general in the home, the admiral, bless God. He's the one that dies first in the home. 
And I'm not talking about weak, anemic, bankrupt manhood. I'm talking about men that are so secure in who they are. Is they don't have to tell you how bad and strong they are. They just show it by how they respond in conflict. Listen, conflict reveals Christ-likeness. When you are squeezed, what comes out of you? When you're in conflict, what comes out of you? Does Jesus come out of you or does something that's anti-Christ come out of you? A good tree will produce good fruit. A bad tree will produce bad fruit. You shall know them by their fruit. God, I got to get to the text. Okay, all right. For the husband is the head of the wife as also as Christ is the head of the church. So who died for the church? Come who died for the church? Jesus Christ died for the church. So there's a comparison going on. Just as Jesus died for the church, so does the husband die for his bride. Watch. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. This is what I've learned. Watch this. Men of God, submission is a response to the way you die for her. Her submission to you is a response of how well you die for her. If you are having problems with submission in your household, it's because you are not laying down your life. And your wife is saying, I ain't laying my I'm not laying my life down for that. <laughs> but, I, but I'll respect that and I'll honor that. Why? Because you're showing her that she is worthy of it all. And when you show her that she is worthy of it all, then respect and honor is a consequence of that. You understand? Okay. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. Watch. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. Why? Because she's your flesh. Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Listen, if you are cursing her out, you're being angry at her, and you're calling her names, all you are doing is you are speaking against your own body. It, children, I hope, God, I hope there's not any children in here. Made that mistake last time, okay? There's children in the room. If there's any children in the room, you want to know why the word of God says in Ephesians chapter 6 to honor your mother and father, that it may go well with you, that you may live long on the earth. It's because, listen, if you curse your mother and father, you're cursing your life source and you will die early. But if you honor your mother and father, you're speaking well of your life source. And guess what you have? Longevity because you're honoring where you came from. But if you curse where you came from, you're cursing the womb of your existence. Uh-oh. That was for somebody. That was for somebody. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Why? She's of you. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. For no one ever hated his own flesh. You see that? How many of you guys, let's just, how many of you guys have said you hated your spouse? No hands in here. I know you are lying. I know in the heat of the argument and the anger comes in, you know what the devil wants to do? He wants to get your tongue. Because James says that the tongue cannot be tamed. You do not have control when you get angry. You see black, you go crazy. The only thing that can control your tongue is Christ. But see, there's a standard here. He says, no one ever hated his own flesh. 
You're not supposed to hate your bride or hate your husband. And you know why I love the word hate? It's because you can never hate something that you haven't first loved. Love is just like crazy passion and emotion that's been distorted by offense. And you have so much for that person and so much history that it's just literally distorted. And then love just turns into hate. You can't hate someone you don't know because you don't have a relationship with them. It's been distorted. God, okay, I'm going to finish. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. Watch. For we are members of, come on, his body. We. Say we. Uh-oh. Say we. We are members of his body. We were both made in the image of God. But God is neither male nor female. He's spirit. But you know what he does? He contains both adjectives. Mm. Read your Bible. Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem. And he compares himself to a female hen. And he says, oh, I would long to bring you, O Jerusalem, into my wings so I can nourish and care for you. But you would not have it. Jesus compares himself to a female hen. What, Johnny, El Shaddai, what is it, breasted one? What is it? Say it out. El Shaddai, the breasted one. Is God a female? No. But God reveals himself in ways we can understand because we understand gender. We understand adjectives for gender. But because we are made in his image and his likeness, male and female both came from one man, so they're interchangeable. So let's stop confusing people and let's point people to Christ where the Bible says there's neither male nor female or Jew or Greek, for we are all one in Christ. Okay, let's keep going. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. I love this. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Oh, come on. Jesus, I'm about to preach. Oh, come on. Woo! Never. I told you it was going to be a different day. I told you your boys in raw form this morning, but it's cool because I'm ending. You only got to handle this for five more minutes. Cool? Say capiche. Come on, say capiche. All right. What? I want everybody. Come on. I'm, I'm feeling controlling this morning. I know I should be head and die first, but say capiche. Thank you. All right. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Christ and the church. What does this mean? Ephesians 5 absolutely is talking about marriage, but it says the real mystery is Christ and the church. Okay. Pause. All the way back. So when did sin come into the world? What chapter? Genesis 1, ah. Genesis 2, ah. Genesis what? 3, what? Remember the beginning of the message? When I said that Adam, gosh, did not, did not name the woman Eve until Genesis 3? Watch this. Men of God, this is our issue and we are born with it engraved in us. When God is actually not prescribing, but describing the consequences of the curse. And he says, you shall work off the sweat of your brow. There was work in the garden. It was just, watch, it was co-laboring with God. We worked with God. We, we named the animals. We were in union with God. And then we fell, 
In Genesis 3, God has given us the consequences of the fall. He's not cursing it, but he says, cursed is the ground for your sakes. Meaning, because you've done this, the law of sowing and reaping, like, it's going to be harder to work. Like, the ground is not going to yield what it would yield in the garden because now you're out of the garden. And see, the whole purpose of Adam and Eve, watch, it's the Lord's prayer. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So you can look at Eden as kind of like a little piece of heaven on earth, and it was their job to multiply Eden across the globe. Gosh, come on. It was their job to take their home, their kingdom, and take it across the globe. But because they fell, they were out of the garden. When you're in the garden, you live. When you're out of the garden, you die. When you're in the garden, you do what? When you're out of the garden, you what? Die. So that's why death comes. We're out of the garden. We're separated from the tree of what? Life. Gosh. That's why in the beginning, you got Methuselahs and Adams living like 900 and something years old, like 969 and 955, right? But as creation and history goes, the farther we get from the tree of life, then it goes to 800 and 700 and 500, and then man's days are 120 because we're that far from the garden. You see it? In Genesis 3, Adam, in the curse, names his wife. We rewrite over that. What did he do in Genesis chapter 1 and 2? He named the what? Animals. Oh, God. In Genesis chapter 3, the curse caused Adam to reduce his wife to how he viewed an animal. Just as he named the animals, he named his wife Eve. Say Eve. In Hebrew, it means the mother of all living. He reduced her to what she could do for him. Oh, gosh. He saw her by what she could offer him. By not what he could give her. By not what he could offer her. But not what he could add to her life. But he says, you're Eve. You're the mother of all the living. You're going to be known as a, a baby maker, a homemaker. That's who you are. So he literally reduced Eve to, you're just here to make me babies. He reduced her to the same way he saw an animal. Gosh. And that's why God says, and hey, listen, this is the consequences of the curse. Baby Eve, your desire shall be for your husband. You literally know what that means? It doesn't mean like she'll be codependent. In Hebrew, it literally means her desire will be for your place again. Mm. Your desire will be for your husband, his place. Because remember, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, taken not from the knee or the foot, taken not from the head, taken from the what? The side. Adam and Eve were co-leading together in the garden. Remember Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. He looked at both of them, them, plural, be fruitful, be multiplied. They had the same purpose. They're supposed to lead together. The only thing God didn't say to Eve is tend and keep. That's what he told Adam, right? So Adam reduces his wife to what she could offer him. And God says her desire will be for her husband. Meaning, there's women of God, look at me. There's nothing wrong with you wanting to co-lead with your husband. You are not called to be pushed down. You are not called to be dominated over. You are not called to be barked at. You are called to take your place by your husband and make decisions with your husband. 
I know y'all don't get that. We, listen, they were leading together in the garden. The only thing God told Adam to do was before she was there. Provide a home, you work and repair every breach. So when she comes and you'll have children, man, you guys are protected and you'll live long on the earth. But the curse came and Adam says, you're Eve. You're here for what you can offer me. You know what that translates into? I know I'm, gonna, you, I'm not trying to be condemning. That translates into the same issue that is absolutely sweeping our nation in this world. And that is the issue of sexual immorality and pornography addiction. Watch. The same thing that Adam does. You're Eve. You're the mother of the living. You're here what you can offer me. It's the same thing that men do when they're looking at a screen and you're here for what you can offer me. That's why pornography destroys you, man of God. Why? It's because you take and give nothing back. You wonder why you can't communicate with your spouse? And she says, why can't you communicate with me? Because you don't have to say anything to the screen. All you do is take. All you do is look at the image to make your flesh feel good. It's the same thing if Adam said, you're Eve. What can you offer me? Because that's the curse to nature. And then God tells the man, you're going to roll over her. We're not called to rule our homes and our brides. We're called to lead with them, to show them a higher way. Yes. Listen, listen, listen. Well, what does leadership look like? How, do, how does men, how, how are we ahead in the home? You're ahead by dying first. You're the head by praying first. You're the head by hearing the voice of the Lord first. And you go to your wife and you say, God, I think God is saying this over our family. And if your bride says, I don't hear him saying that. You be, say nothing. You be patient because if he speaks to you, he's going to speak to her because you guys are one. Yes. And then you guys move and walk together. Yes. Side by side. Side by side. That's why we believe in women preachers here and women worship leaders here and women that prophesy here. Why? It's because, watch this. John chapter 20. Jesus resurrects from the dead. Mary is there at the grave. Say Mary. See, the men have already run home. Peter and John, they're talking about who's getting to the grave first. Biblical manhood, ball field, athletic. John literally says, I beat Peter to the grave. John's still thinking a man is, I just got to beat Peter to the grave. I got to beat Peter to the grave. They go home because the tomb is empty. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that Mary stood there weeping. Why? It's because they could go back to fishing, but she knew she couldn't go back to what she had been delivered from. So she stayed at the womb, tomb, weeping over this Messiah that gave her life. And she's weeping. She sees two angels. And they say, why do you seek the living among the dead? And then he looks. And a man that's a what? A gardener. Say gardener. My God. The Bible is prophetic. He comes as a gardener because why? He's taking her back to Eden. And he, he says to a woman by the name of Mary, hey, go tell my disciples and go tell Peter that I have been resurrected. Godly, come on. God is a G. You know what he does? It was a woman that fell first, but he filled a woman's mouth with the gospel first. Gosh, come on. Do you know what early church fathers called Mary Magdalena? The apostle to the apostles. The apostle to the apostles. Why? It's because she saw the resurrected Lord first. She saw the gardener first. And she didn't even know who he was until he called her by name. And when he says Mary, she says, 
Rabboni Rabbi, and her life was forever changed, and she became the first preacher. Why? It's because Jesus, God, did not say, what can you do for me? God says, woman, I'm giving you an upgrade. I'm giving humanity an upgrade. Come on, we don't get this. Ephesians chapter 5, everyone stand up. Come on, stand up, stand up, stand up, come on. Come on, we don't get this, we don't get this. Ephesians 5, Paul says, what I'm really talking about is Christ in the church. Say Christ. Christ. Say the church. church. We talk about the death, we talk about the burial, and we talk about the resurrection, but we know nothing about the ascension, and we know nothing about the enthronement. Watch what Jesus did. He took your flesh and my flesh, and he redeemed it. You can see this redeemed type of flesh when he's going through the walls. And he's, he's, he's showing up in his divine gravity, literally. And Jesus resurrects from the dead. And it says he stayed with his disciples for 40 days until the time of the ascension. And watch what happened. We have Jesus who Philippians chapter 2 says, although he existed in the form of God, He did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But he emptied himself. And he came as a bondservant. Say empty. Say empty. It means kenosis. He literally emptied himself. I feel like we've taught this wrong for so many years. We think that Jesus just emptied himself and he came in flesh. But what did he empty himself into? your flesh. Divinity became humanity. C.S. Oh my God. Yes. (laughs) C.S. Lewis. That would have been terrible. I would have just walked off. Okay. Y'all got, we're done. Go home. Listen, C.S. Lewis says this, son of God became son of man. So sons of men can become sons of God. So the kenosis is divinity. I'm getting somewhere is being poured into humanity. Your flesh. And that's how he did everything in this life. All the miracles, signs, and wonders because he did it in the flesh, full of the Holy Spirit. And then when he resurrected, he resurrected and he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And guess what's at the right hand of the Father? Yours and my resurrected, redeemed flesh. Sitting at the right hand of the Father, he gave humanity an upgrade. Ephesians says you are seated with him in heavenly places in Christ. You are seated with him. So women, you are not doormats. You are not meant to be treated in a dominant, controlling way. Men of God, can I get some prayer counselors and elders up front? Men of God, you are not designed by God to rule over them. You are not, listen, you are not supposed to, according to Ephesians chapter 5, repeat that scripture over your bride. You need to submit to me. You need to submit to me. That's not what we do. It is your job to die. It is my job to die. And submission is a response. So what is biblical manhood? Doesn't have to do with the type of clothes you wear. We see that in Genesis 2, pre-fall. Doesn't do with the size of your muscles or how well you can score touchdowns or how straight you can shoot a firearm or how well you can fight. It's how well you can lead your family. 
It's how well you can die for your bride. It's how well you can raise up your children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Listen, a true biblical man is a family man. And if you're single, then you start acting like a family man now. Listen, I do does not begin at the altar. I do begins alone in your prayer closet between you and your husband. I have learned to to be a husband. I got to learn to be a bride. How does that make sense? Do you see this? We've jacked everybody up because we don't understand the Bible. So instead of saying, man, I don't know about that. that that's, a, that's just, that's a, that's a little feminine. You need to act more masculine. How about we say, son, you are going to work for your family and you're going to provide for your family and you're going to put a hedge of protection around your family. And listen, I'm just going to speak the word of the Lord over you. No matter what I see, if I see no change in my spouse, if I see no change in my family, a man of God stays constant. He stays constant. He stands. He stands. And he says, the enemy is not getting into my home. There are no breaches. I am, I am repairing the breaches in the wall. The enemy cannot have my children. The enemy cannot have my marriage. The enemy cannot have my home. I am taking my stand as a man of God. I choose to work. I choose to protect. Come on. And I choose to die first. This is biblical manhood. So men of God in the room, if you know you need to be called higher, come on. Come on, men, come on. Men, husbands, come on. Come on. If you need to come higher, come on. Come on. Come on. We got one. We got two. Come on. Come on, every man in here, we got to go higher. Hallelujah, come on. Come on. Come on. Hekorakaya kaoko shalakaya taromboto. Horakaya lomboromboto revekayata. Horamboroko shiakaramboto. Holy Spirit reign in this place. Holy Spirit, make us into your image and to your likeness. Jesus Christ be resurrected in this place. Jesus' image be formed in us as men. Come on, come up, come up, come on. Hallelujah, come on. Hey, come on. Come on, don't, come on, respond. Father, I pray right now. Father, I pray. God, I pray for like, not a holy hesitation, but a holy provoking, God. When we feel like there's just something not right within us, God, that's you drawing us for more, God. God, I pray by the Spirit of God, you would, pour, you would pull out your image within us, God, because the image of God is not erased. It might be effaced, but it is not erased, God. So, Father, I pray that the men in this room would take their place, God. They would See, God, that the enemy is out for keeps, God. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus, you would do what only you can do, God. Take us to a high place. Let us see where we are seated with you in the heavenly places, God. Father, we are not sinners, God, saved by grace. We are saints who sin, God. Father, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. True men of God are not defined by how the world or culture wants to define us. We are defined by your spirit, God. Defined by your word, Lord. So, Father, do it in us, God. God, I pray that we would not remain the same, God. Change us. Transform us, God. Show us what true manhood looks like. And it looks like Jesus bleeding out on the cross saying, if you want to look at a true man, look at this. I go first. I die for my bride first. 
I leave it all on the altar. I hold nothing back. I hold all, I don't hold on to that last thing. I give it all away. I don't know my wife by what she can do for me. I know her by what I can offer her, God. How I can tend and how I can keep the garden, Lord. How I can die first for her. Holy Spirit, do it in us in Jesus' name. Woo! Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.